A few weeks ago, I did an episode about wearing nail polish, in which I lamented the fact that I didn't think anyone could tell I was gay. Well, something interesting happened to me just the other day that proves otherwise. Getting Discomfortable With Microaggressions I was doing a course in Marin County in California, which is just an hour north of San Francisco. And after the workshop one day, I walked into an upscale grocery store. I think it was called Nuggets. And I was listening to music and just sort of browsing. And then I kind of noticed that someone seemed to be talking to me. And I didn't hear completely what they said because I was listening to music, but the word queer cut through. So I pulled my headphone out, looked up, and there was this kind of bro-y looking dude. And I was like, excuse me? And he said, that is the queerest walk I have ever seen. And I was sort of stunned for a second. And I just said, well, I am queer. And he was like, yeah, I know. And I was like, good, because sometimes people can't tell and they think I'm straight. And he was like, no, I could tell. And then he raised his hand and I grabbed it. And we did kind of like, not a handshake. You know when someone does a handshake, but their hand is sort of pointing upwards? It's kind of like a casual bro handshake thing. That's what he did. And so I I grabbed his hand and did a sort of dappy, upward pointing, shaky thing. And then he was like, yeah, I mean, I just got back from the military, six years in Korea. So I was like, cool. Uh, Well, nice to meet you. Welcome back. And then he kind of like wandered off mumbling some things. I have to admit that as soon as he left, I realized I was in my threat response. My heart was pounding. My face was flushed. I was trying to stop my eyes from watering. You know, I was just trying to act totally casual. Like, it's just totally normal for dudes to come up and comment on how queer your walk is. But I was sort of surprised because my threat response was triggered assuming that this guy was making fun of me or was going to attack me or belittle me. I mean, the whole thing was definitely shaming. I I don't recommend going around telling people how queer their walk is or is not, especially given that queer people are often ridiculed on the street. It's a scary experience. But as soon as I responded with, well, I am queer, it became clear that it was actually sort of just a casual interaction. And in fact, uh, to this day, I'm not sure what his intentions were. Was he trying to mock me, but then I was able to diffuse it by kind of normalizing it? Or was he really just back from Korea and kind of just like surprised at everything he was seeing? Like as I continued to shop, I noticed him kind of wandering around talking to various people. So, (laughs) I mean, maybe he legitimately just got back from the military and was taking in all the wonders of modern America with its new liberated queers and the popularity of seltzer water with alcohol in it. Who knows? Maybe he was closeted and that was his attempt at hitting on me. I really didn't know. But it surprised me because I was like, oh, I guess people can tell that I'm gay just by looking at me. Maybe my behavior has changed or evolved over the years, such as to make me appear gayer. It was an interesting experience because 
Obviously, it's not exactly a microaggression. It was it seemed more like a macroaggression. But then as the interaction continued, it seemed like this person either changed their tactic or perhaps wasn't even aware at all of the implications of what they were saying. Maybe this guy legitimately was unaware that a lot of gay people, myself included, walk around daily with a little bit of a fear that someone is literally going to lash out at us violently or at very least shame us or yell at us. It's like a constant fear that I have, especially when I'm in a new country or in a place where I've never been before. Of course, being an hour north of San Francisco, I was definitely not expecting this to happen in nuggets of all places, but it could happen anywhere. And that is a little bit of a stress that follows me and most gay people around all the time. I recently attended a symposium on the problem of shame in Houston, Texas, put on by the Menninger Clinic with speakers such as Brene Brown and Harriet Lerner and a bunch of other shame luminaries. And in one of the talks, it was all about LGBTQ plus people and shame. And the speaker's thesis was that to be an LGBTQ plus person in the world today, even with all of our advancements in terms of gay rights, was essentially to live in shame at all times, to live in a culture that is still constantly shaming us for our sexual orientation. And this is kind of where the concept of microaggressions comes from. It's essentially all of those little moments in interactions and in a culture where people assume that everyone fits into the norm, that everyone fits into a cisgendered heteronormative stereotype. And so when they treat you as if you are something that you are not, it's a kind of microaggression towards your true identity. I don't know if microaggression is quite the right word for it, though, because as I pointed out in this case, not only was this more than micro, but my point is more that it wasn't clear whether he was actually trying to be aggressive or not. In fact, I think that most cases of microaggression are actually examples of ignorance. This guy probably didn't realize that most gay people walk around in mild, constant fear of being shamed or ridiculed or literally punched. So he thought that it was okay to just sort of point out, oh, wow, like, look at how gay everyone is now. I've been away and now, like, everyone's gay all of a sudden. I experienced it as aggression, but it may not have been his intention. Other examples of microaggression are when someone says, oh, hey, so, like, do you have a girlfriend? You're like, "Mm, well, how do I answer that? No, (laughs) I have a boyfriend. Every time someone asks me if I have a girlfriend, I have a moment where I think, okay, I'm going to say no, but am I then going to say I'm gay or I have a boyfriend? Not that I currently do have a boyfriend, but when I did have a boyfriend, or either way, I am often torn. And sometimes I'll say, no, I'm gay. And sometimes I'll just say, nope, and hope for no follow-up questions or attempts to set me up with some girlfriend of theirs. Even assuming that you know what someone's gender is can be a microaggression. Assuming that you know what someone's pronouns are can be a microaggression. These microaggressions are almost always assumptions coming from cultural norms combined with ignorance. And I have to admit that I think most people aren't intending to be aggressive. That's why I actually think it's more useful to use a term like micro-stress. 
As a gay person, I experience a lot of micro stress every day. These little moments, these little interactions where I'm not exactly sure if I'm completely safe to be clear and honest about who I am, and I'm not exactly sure how to answer certain questions or how to fit into a world that isn't completely designed for me. This is changing all the time. And it's really heartening when someone makes that effort to just say, so do you have a partner? Or when I overhear a parent talking to their child and they say something like, yeah, you might grow up and marry a girl one day or marry a boy, you know, whoever, whatever. I'm like, wow, parents really say that to their kids? Like there are kids growing up thinking that they can marry whoever they want. That's amazing. But nonetheless, we are still very much embedded in the traditions of a heteronormative, cisgender, white-dominated culture in which any minority is likely to experience these instances of micro-stress. And it has a toll on you. It really does chip away at your well-being and your health. It actually stresses you out. It's like extra cortisol in your system. And it's a constant test and challenge of just how much authenticity you're going to embrace in your day-to-day life. So I like microaggressions as a concept. When we are able to educate ourselves on those small ways in which we might be adding stress into someone's life, once we know about them, we can say, oh, okay, well... (laughs) That's fine. I'm happy to change the way I speak. I'm happy to make less assumptions. I'm, I'm happy to accommodate different identities that I wasn't really aware of. But I don't think it's realistic to expect that everybody is going to be completely microaggression-free all the time. Nor do I think it's appropriate to demonize or shame someone because they happen to use one of these microaggressions. Because our culture is changing so rapidly with all of these new understandings and all of these new identities coming to the surface, it's almost impossible to keep track of and know about every single possible microaggression that there is. That would be like a full-time job. It's really too much to expect out of any given normal person. In fact, it's too much for even me to keep track of, someone who experiences microaggressions all the time, someone who's afraid to hold hands with a guy in public just because people look at me. And I don't know. Are they looking at me because they think I'm adorable, holding this adorable guy's hand? Or are they looking at me because they're disgusted? Are they going to say something? Are they going to smile? Are they going to spit at us? I just don't know. And those micro-stressors freak me out enough that I kind of just don't want to hold my partner's hand in certain situations sometimes. I remember once, and this was years ago, this was maybe 10 years ago, I kissed my boyfriend goodbye on the subway, and he was going to another destination. So as I was stepping off, he stayed on. But then a group of younger guys walked past me as I was walking out and said, fucking faggots. And then I was like, oh, shit. This group of bigoted guys just got on the subway with my boyfriend, and now I am off the subway. So then I got on the next subway and followed and tracked my boyfriend down and was like, are you okay? And he was like, I'm fine. What are you talking about? And I was like, oh, well, (laughs) I got really freaked out because some guys said fucking faggots under their breath after I kissed you and got off the subway. So I was worried that I had just like left you alone with a bunch of violent, bigoted homophobes. But actually nothing became of it. They just whispered fucking faggots and went on with their day. I mean, that's not a microaggression. That's an aggression. That is clear that the intention was to shame us. 
But there are other moments where people are looking at me and my partner, and I just don't know what their intention is. And because of my negativity bias and because of my experiences, actual experiences in the world, I tend to interpret it as threatening or aggressive. And that's unpleasant. So anytime I can learn about what is considered a micro-stress for any kind of minority group, I am happy to adopt that within reason and try to accommodate their needs so that I can make them feel less stressed. Like, why not? But I also try to be gracious when someone does something to me that I interpret as microaggression or that I feel as a micro-stress because I, I don't often know what their intention is. There is, however, a kind of pushback against the whole concept of microaggression. And I understand it, and that's why I think it's probably better to use a word like microstress. I can then own the things that I am interpreting in a stressful way and say, that's my interpretation. I don't know what your intention was. I don't know if you were trying to be aggressive or not. And I can understand how some people feel shamed and blamed for these microaggressions that honestly they didn't intend. But if you are specifically being taught ways in which you can accommodate people in order to help them not feel micro-stress, and you refuse to do it, then I think you are being micro-aggressive. Like when you refuse to address someone with their chosen pronouns, or when you suddenly decide you're some kind of English language stickler and you're refusing to use they when you're talking about a singular non-binary person. This stubborn reaction to the whole concept of microaggressions is probably based in shame. It's probably the feeling that you are being blamed for not knowing these things, such that when you do know them, you reject them and you refuse to play along because you don't want to be seen as ever having been wrong. There's also a kind of macho, get-over-it quality, like, all right, so you're a little bit stressed out because people keep staring at you. Get over it. We're all a little bit stressed out. And you're not wrong. I mean, it is our responsibility to own our emotions and our reactions. But at the same time, why not help accommodate someone when you can, when you know that staring at a gay couple holding hands might be interpreted as threatening, then maybe just don't stare at them or maybe give them a smile to say, hey, I'm staring because you two are so adorable. And this whole topic of microaggressions, especially this guy saying I had the queerest walk ever, reminded me of a story from my youth that I had completely forgotten about. It was one of my first experiences with a microaggression for being gay, and this was before I had even figured out that I was gay. I was 16 and my birthday was coming up. And my parents said that I could take a few friends to this Italian restaurant for dinner and they would pay for us. So I called this Italian restaurant up and I said, hey, I'm uh, having a birthday party. I was wondering if you had space for eight people on August 2nd, which is my birthday. And they were like, oh, let me look. So I was just sitting on the phone waiting and I could hear them talking in the background. And the person I was talking to was saying, yeah, party of eight, yeah, they're gay, for sure. And I was like, huh, what? 
I'm not gay. I was, you know, this was back when I was completely repressed and oblivious. But of course, the whole idea of someone accusing me of being gay really piqued some intense shame in me in that moment. And then he came back on and was like, yeah, eight people, August 2nd, that works. And I was like, okay, um, yeah, uh, my name is Jerry. <laughs> and so I made a reservation under the name Jerry because I didn't want to, I, I mean, I just didn't want to admit to being this obviously gay character. I just didn't know how to react. So then I hung up and I was like, this is an outrage. I was like, how dare they decide that I'm gay? I'm not gay. That's ridiculous. So I called them back and I said, hey, I just called and made a reservation. And I just wanted to say that I overheard you talking while you were finding out if there was a room. And I overheard you saying that I was definitely gay. And first of all, I'm not gay. And second of all, I don't think you should be deciding who is and isn't gay when you have no idea what you're talking about. And the person on the phone was really apologetic. And he was like, oh, like, I'm sorry, man. Like, I mean, you know what? People think I'm gay all the time. It's like, it's no big deal. And I was like, okay, well, I'm still going to keep the reservation. And then I told all of my friends about this. And it was this sort of like funny story. And we went for dinner and there were all kinds of jokes. And then at the very end, I paid with my credit card and it had my real name on it. And when they came back, they were like, oh, well, like, happy birthday, Alan. <laughs> and my friends were like, oh, my goodness, it's because you made the reservation under the name Jerry. And I was really embarrassed because I felt like that was kind of a tell. The fact that I didn't have the nerve to give them my real name perhaps suggested that it bothered me more than I thought it should have. And this was a perfect example of how, like, part of me deep down either knew I was gay or knew that I was at least really kind of afraid of being gay. And so little things like that would really freak me out. But maybe they wouldn't bother anyone else who was quite certain. Like, I'm a 16-year-old. How would you possibly know what my sexual orientation is over the phone? Anyway, it was an ongoing joke over the years, this legendary dinner in which I was outed over the phone, even though everyone knew I wasn't gay, but actually, secretly, I was. And it had kind of a strange ending, which isn't really related to microaggressions per se, but always sticks in my mind. And that was that about a year later, my sister, who often went to that same restaurant because her now husband lived in that neighborhood, told me that that specific waiter who had called me gay had just died of a heroin overdose. So it was this kind of bizarre, at first hilarious story that then took this random tragic turn and years later had all this new significance when I finally recognized that I really was gay. The concept of micro-stress actually really helped me because it made me realize and put a name to something that I had been experiencing that had been making my life less pleasant, but that I wasn't really fully conscious of. 
that there was actually a way to talk about all of those little moments of fear and shame and embarrassment in being gay that you don't really want to own or live up to. You know, like I wanted to be out and proud. So I didn't want to tell anyone that I actually felt nervous when my boyfriend kissed me goodbye in public or when he wanted to hold hands or something like that. That I actually felt nervous whenever anybody asked me questions about my personal life because I wasn't sure if I wanted to out myself or if I could trust them or how they would react. Those are all things that a proud gay man isn't supposed to feel, quote unquote. But when I understood the concept of micro stress, I was able to kind of own and voice those feelings and able to understand that there was a lot of extra stress in my life that I had to deal with, that, that I couldn't just push under the carpet. And that was liberating to own that and embrace that stress and realize that I needed to confront it and deal with it and be open about it and find strategies to alleviate it. It kind of like lifted a burden for me. I felt like I was having to hide all of these unpleasant experiences. But once I was able to label them as a micro stress, it made it a lot easier to talk about it. It wasn't just me. It took the shame away from not being the proudest, most confident gay man. And I realized that it was quite a universal experience. So whatever you think about the term microaggression, whether you think it's fair to even call it an aggression when in most cases it is based on ignorance, I still think that there is a lot of utility to learning what it is that people and different you know, minority groups consider a microstress or a microaggression so that you can help alleviate their stress or at very least help everybody understand the stress that they are under both the people who are experiencing the stress and the people who are stimulating that stress. And if you care about helping other people experience less stress, then you can work to learn about these microaggressions and try to avoid them. But at the same time, I, I think it's important to note that you're not going to do a perfect job. I'm not going to do a perfect job. No one's going to do a perfect job. And if we try to educate people about microstress and microaggression through shame and blame, it's going to backfire and they're going to be resentful and they are actually going to stubbornly insist on continuing to cause these microaggressions because they don't want to accept that blame and shame. So it's about the right strategy to create the awareness and education that is going to help lead to less micro stress for people with marginalized identities. <laughs> 